0: good to be with you this morning. Uh, Let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Um, We're continuing along in this series, Joy to the World in the Book of Philippians. So you can find the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3. We're going to complete the second half of the chapter, verses 12 and onwards. Nothing can stop us except the wall. I'm sure that that motto probably doesn't mean very much to you, but it brings great memories back to me. Um, This was a motto that my freshman swim team had adopted, and it was a year when a bunch of ragtag, didn't know how to swim group of swimmers became real swimmers. This motto was a motto that was actually handed down to us by our coach. He was an inspiring figure, He could see talent. He could mold talent. He could inspire you to achieve your talent. And I needed this motto at this particular time in my life. I don't know if you remember the the movie um, Back to the Future with Marty McFly. Um, But there's a scene in the movie where he talks about how he doesn't want to try out because he's afraid. And he says, I just can't handle that kind of rejection. And i got to say, that's where I was at in life at that point. Uh, Sad part of the story, I had tried out for the freshman boys basketball team because that was the one team in the school that everybody made. I mean, 50 boys try out for freshman boys basketball. They make an A squad, B squad, C squad. They went all the way down to F, I think. I don't know. So I try out. I give it my best effort. And I'm like one of five kids that gets cut from the team. Okay. So I know for a fact after that happens that everyone gets on the swim team because you have to wear Speedos on the swim team and no one's willing to do that. So I migrate over there. And I have to tell you, when we get at the beginning of the season, it is rough. No one knows what they're doing. I couldn't even complete four laps of swimming in the pool. We go up to our first meet. We get obliterated. But the coach just keeps going. Nothing can stop us except the wall. I want you to give it your best. I want you to show up. And I needed the motto because I was afraid to fail. So he says, it's okay to fail. The next time you get on the block, you need to give that race your best. And then you need to do it again and again and again. We get to the regional championships of conference. And we have progressed as a team from worst to now we are seated third as we're going into the conference. I'd improved too. I don't know what it was. Couldn't dribble a basketball for my life uh, to be saved, but I jump into a pool and it becomes natural for me. I have now progressed from not being able to complete four laps to I am in the last heat of the 100-yard freestyle. And I think Coach could see that Marty McFly was speaking in my ear again because I looked like a deer in the headlights as I was approaching the blocks. He grabs hold of my shoulders, and he gives me this little speech. He says, I want you to walk up to the pool, take some water, splash it on yourself, Look over at your competition right in the eyeball because you belong on that block, let them know it. And then once you get on that block, I want you to explode off of that block with every ounce of energy you have and give this race everything you've got. And you know what? I did. I swam the best race that I had swam all season. I, I broke a personal record. I placed in the medals. The team ended up winning conference that year. We hadn't won conference in over 15 years as a school. I'm telling you guys, if anyone here knows anyone in Hollywood, this would make a great movie. <laughs> I mean, forget about the mighty ducks. Go Spartans. So as I think about this season of my life, it it brings to mind the passage that we're looking at this morning. Now let me just rewind the tape a little bit. Last week Paul is outlining a life purpose for us and he's saying, "I don't want you to use all of your attention and energy and focus in trying to just look spiritually good in the eyes of others. I want you to redirect that energy into actually knowing Christ." Because that's what life's all about. You're called to pursue it. You're called to help other people pursue it. It's a beautiful life purpose. Now, in case Marty McFly is speaking in all of our ears, in case we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's a really grand purpose. Can I really do that? Paul wants to give us some encouragements in the text this morning. So let me read these for you. We're looking at verses 12 to 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, as you look at this language here, you're going to notice that Paul is using racing terminology. And if you've ever engaged in athletic competition, you know intuitively what it takes to win. You have to come, you have to show up, you have to be willing to go the distance if you are going to complete a race. So Paul, he gives us some encouragements on how you can do that based upon his own example. The first encouragement is really simple. He just says, you got to stay humble. And I need this encouragement. I really appreciate how he begins verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. In other words, he's saying, I haven't arrived yet. And, you know, coming from the, the lips of the apostle Paul, I'm like, okay that's helpful because if you look at a guy like him, you think, man, he's got it all together spiritually. He's writing scripture after all. And then I look at my life and I'm like, why am I progressing as far as I could or should? Why am I still struggling in prayer or not memorizing more scripture or struggling in my evangelism or whatever it is? Paul is identifying a real-world tension for us that is borne out in the scriptures. On one side of the tension, of course, I am called to progress, to give it everything, to move ahead. But on the other side, I must acknowledge that this side of heaven, I'm never gonna fully arrive. Remember last week we talked about this whole comparison game that we play. And we, we noted that comparison can really be destructive to your faith walk with Jesus. And I think this is a two-edged sword. You know, one edge of the sword is what we saw last week. I use comparison to make myself feel superior. I focus on the things that I'm strong at, and I focus on the things that other people are weak at. But there's another edge of the sword, and the other edge is that I compare myself to feel inferior. You ever been guilty of that? Looking at another pe- person's faith walk and thinking to yourself, "Oh, man, they're just so strong in the faith and And they're following God. And, you know, that person, when they share the gospel, it just seems like people listen and they respond to the gospel. Or when she prays, it's like the Holy Spirit's in the room with us right there. Well, that kind of comparison is also destructive. It can build bitterness, resentment. It can send you down a downward spiral in your spirit. Paul says it's not good. You know, God has wired each and every one of us uniquely. I want you to do something for me, just for one minute. Take your hand, put it about six inches in front of your face. Okay? Take a good look at it. Now, focus about 10 feet in front of you. And try, as you're looking and not looking back at your hand, to describe your hand. And about the only thing I can see right now is my hand probably could use some lotion right now. (laughs) You can put your hands down. You know, when you think about that little simple object lesson, you can't see the intricate details, contours, design of the way that God's made you if you're constantly looking past the individual that he's made you to be Toward other people. You know what that ends up doing? It ends up turning us into copycats of others. I was thinking about that this week. I look at a guy like Pastor James. He's a great guy, loves the Lord, he's made sacrifices for the Lord. When James and I, if you put us in the same room together, you probably couldn't put together two more opposite individuals in many ways. Uh, James loves the details. I want to puke in the details James is soft-hearted compassionate loving he could just start praying for a person and feel weepy eyed me on the other hand you score me on a compassion test and I hate to say it it's not high so what if I'm looking at him and I say I need to be James not Rob Well, what happens is I become a caricature of James. Now, a caricature, you've seen those pictures, they emphasize different features of a person oddly, like a large chin, a large nose. It's kind of funny, but you don't take it seriously. There was a psychologist, Swiss psychologist, Dr. Paul Turner... And he said that we all live with a great illusion. And the illusion is that we think that there are two kinds of people. We think there are strong people and weak people. And he says that the truth is that human beings are much more alike than they think. Because everyone is, in fact, weak. We all are. We all have fears We all wonder if we measure up. We all get anxious. I like to think of it like this. We're all little specks on a giant rock that's hurtling through the universe. Here's the deal. Once I come to that recognition, I can say, okay, I'm weak. But I believe in a God who is strong. And when my life is tethered to his life, I am aligned with that strength I was reading a quote just this week. We've been in 21 days of prayer and every year I come and I am evaluating my prayer life and sometimes I can get down on myself. And Brother Lawrence gave me some freedom with these words. He said, for many years, I was bothered by the thought that I was a failure at prayer. But then one day I realized I would always be a failure at prayer and I've gotten along much better ever since. You know what he's doing there? He's not allowing perfection to be the enemy of good. And neither should we. We should pray. I don't have to be perfect. But I do need to be aligned in his strength. You know, as you think about this idea of staying humble, it really brings us into the next part of the text. Uh, Paul says in the next part of verse 12, I keep going I press on to to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, what he's describing to us here is total engagement. Stay humble, but also stay engaged. When the Bible talks about this engagement, it refers to a person being wholehearted. What does it mean to be wholehearted? Well, if you're wholehearted, you're in it with all of who you are. And if you've not captured the theme of Philippians yet, this is where it's at. Paul's saying, if you're totally engaged in your walk with Jesus Christ, on that road, you will run into joy. You will find it. A Dr. Henry Cloud says, as one of his laws of happiness, he says it like this, there is Only one way to live life if you're going to be happy, totally in, totally engaged. What does that look like? Well, it looks like waking up every day and saying, this is a new day and I'm going to give it my 110%. I'm going to invest myself in what I'm doing. And and not from some kind of works-based righteousness standpoint, but because God's given me purpose, and I want to live in that purpose. And I have to bring this engagement mentality, this wholeheartedness, into every dimension of my life. You know, when I talk to people and they tell me, Pastor Rob, my marriage is struggling right now, I'm often listening for wholeheartedness. Are you really in it? Are you giving the marriage your 100% or is it just kind of something that gets your attention from time to time? Maybe if you're struggling in your marriage, what you need to do is get re-engaged. Focus on one another. Be willing to be vulnerable. Be considerate. Maybe your 2024 goal, if your marriage is struggling, is how can I make my spouse happy this year? How can I bless them? What about your job? I hear people describing their work and, oh, I hate my job and it's the worst thing ever. And as I hear that, now I know there's special considerations, but a lot of times when I hear it, I'm like, you're just not there. I've worked many different jobs if you go into a job and apply Colossians 3.23, work is unto the Lord. If you're totally in it, I'm not saying be a workaholic. I'm saying nine to five or whatever hours you work, you show up, you'll start liking the job. Same thing with church. Eh, church is boring. Well, church is boring because you're boring. That's what I'm going to say this morning. You got to serve. You got to get into Bible study. You got to show up. Otherwise, you're going to get into this vicious cycle where you are changing churches every two years. It's never going to be good enough. Focus, engagement, this is what we need. You know, as we move into that, that is the companion to engagement is this idea of focus. Paul describes it to us in verses 13 and 14. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but right? I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, I want to unpack, notice with you, two ways that we need to focus. The first way, look there, um, go back one slide for me, sorry, I went rogue on them. Forgetting what lies, the text, go to the text, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So the idea is that focus needs to be more forward looking than backward looking. Uh, there's nothing wrong with reviewing the past, but you need to treat the past like you drive with your rear view mirror, right? Sometimes I need to use my rear view mirror. I need to find where I'm positioned down the highway. But I would not recommend that you drive to a place looking only at your rearview mirror. And here's the truth. A lot of believers have made a wreck of their emotional health and their spiritual progress because they're living in the rearview mirror. You can do this in a couple of different ways. You can be overly nostalgic. There's a good nostalgia where you remember good times. You can be overly where it was always better 20 or 30 years ago. Truth is, it wasn't. Um, There's new things, a new day, new direction that God has for us right now. Or, I can rest on my former glories. You'll sometimes hear someone describing their life in the rear view of, Ah, I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be in discipleship groups. I used to share my faith with people. And as a pastor, I'm like, what about right now? What are you doing? The Apostle Paul, if he were to give us direction on this point, if he was using this race analogy, he would say, listen, listen, It's great that you ran the first 10 miles really, really well, but this is a 26-mile race, and you've got to keep running. If you stop running in the middle, you lose. So get back in. Get focused. But maybe the worst form of it that I've seen is when someone beats themselves up with their past. Bad choices, bad behaviors bad relationships, you get stuck. You start thinking, well, I did something then. I must be disqualified now. I can't forgive myself. Listen, I have one question, if that's you. If God can forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? Do you know something about yourself that God doesn't know? Or are your standards somehow higher than his standards? God doesn't want you stuck. He's a forward-looking God. I think about King David. You remember we talked about him last week. We we're talking about flawed characters in the Bible and And David, I mean, boy, did he make a shipwreck of things, didn't he? He he committed adultery. He committed murder. If I committed murder, if I was in a plot of murder, I think I might get stuck. But David knew the God of the Bible. And he writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. Let's take a look at that psalm. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. David was focused. He believed in a God that doesn't drive us in the rearview mirror. He knew that there was a way forward, that he could bring his worst moments to this God, deal with these worst moments, and then move on. You can't drive your life in the rearview mirror. You have to stay focused. Now, I think there's another principle we see about focus in this text this morning. See, it turns out that Focus only matters if you are heading in the right direction, right? So we've all, you know, related to that individual who they've, they've got their time, their energy, their attention in something, but it is not the right direction. It's a dead end. And we're like, don't go there. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Unless your focus is properly aligned with the right direction, you get off course. Now, Paul, you'll notice in verse 14, gives us the right direction. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. What he's describing here for us is an eternal perspective. Now, eternal perspective means this. It's living today like heaven is your tomorrow. So are you living today like heaven is your tomorrow? There's two types of perspectives that Paul outlines in this text. There's an earthly perspective. you look at verse 19, he says, this perspective leads you to destruction. And he describes it like this. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Here's the deal. If heaven is not your tomorrow, fine, live like that. You know, you do you, boo. It's all good. But if heaven is your tomorrow, Paul's saying, like, that's the worst decision you could make with your life. Look as he goes forward, verses 20 and 21. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Do you hear the eternal perspective? You know, if heaven is my tomorrow, then I don't have to invest all of my time, my energy, my anxiety in trying to build up treasures on earth or trying to focus on my physical appearance all the time. Because here's a news flash this thing is degrading moment by moment. But you will get an upgrade and it'll be good. You don't have to overly focus on. Your losses and your suffering because Paul says in Scripture, it's only a short moment in time. That's this life. The next life goes on and on and on. Uh, You can leverage your life as a gift because you don't lose anything in doing that because what you will receive in eternity will be so far superior than anything you lose in this life if you give your life as a gift. We worship a God who spoke the stars into existence, who holds eternity in his hands. Paul's saying, listen, you can put your trust in him. Focus is everything. Focus doesn't look backwards, it looks forward. It doesn't get off kilter. It stays on course. It also, Paul is going to say to us in this text, remains unified. Look at verses 15 and 16. He's talking to us, the church believers, and he's saying, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. You know, as I'm thinking about focus and I'm thinking about church, I've seen a lot of believers get out of focus we get, you know, focused on the wrong things. What are the right things? The right things are Christ and his gospel. Those will be the things that we will be eternally grateful that we pursued. But do you think when you get to heaven and 10,000 years of time has passed by that you're going to look back and be mad about the things that you were mad about in this life? Like, you know, Perhaps someone gave you the stank eye at church and it offended you and you got mad over it or there was a decision that was made that you didn't like or they're singing songs that you don't really prefer or there's a scripture translation that you don't really love that much. Do you think 10,000 years in heaven, we're gonna spend time even thinking one second about that? No. But every second that you pour into knowing Christ and giving yourself to the kingdom of God, you will be eternally grateful you did that. Paul's saying, listen, this morning, if you live like this, nothing can stop us except the wall. Stay f- humble, stay engaged, stay focused. You know, this truth was resonating deeply in my spirit this uh, Friday Um, I was in the middle of my sermon prep and I got a phone call from Joel Feenstra. If you guys don't know Joel and Lori Feenstra, uh, they're a family in our church and uh, they have a beautiful daughter named Rachel. They're up in Mass General Hospital right now and Joel's like, Rob, I need you to come up here. We need some ministry of presence. We need to lay hands and pray over Rachel. If you don't know Rachel's story, Rachel is this beautiful girl you see on the screen. She was born with a Cardi syndrome. And from the moment of her birth, Rachel has needed round-the-clock care, 24-7s care. She has been to Mass General Hospital more times than I can count, more procedures, more operations, more urgent situations. So as you think about Rachel and I look at her, I see a miracle. I don't know if you believe in miracles, I do. I believe in miracles because of someone like Rachel. I think every year that Rachel has continued in this world, in this life, has been a miracle. Um, I'm convinced that Rachel is here today because of thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers that have been offered up over many years on her behalf. You know, I look at Joel and Lori, and, you know, as they have been committed to this calling of loving Rachel, I, I, I think, you know, God has just given you some really big responsibilities, some important roles. Like, he's called them to be priest to their daughter. He's called them to be the ones who, in the middle of the night when no one knows that she's suffering, to be down on their knees in prayer. He's called them to be doctor and nurse. Uh, If you've ever been around them when they're rattling off medical terminology, it's like, whoa. I said to Joel, I like, I think you guys are the foremost experts on a syndrome. But most of all, he's called them to be mom and dad to her. We were praying over her, and as we were laying hands on Rachel at the hospital, Katie started praying about heaven. And she was imagining the day when Rachel would exchange the weak, mortal body and exchange it for the glorious, eternal body. And she imagined this scenario where Rachel is whole and happy and healthy and she's having her first encounter with her mom, Lori. And the first words out of her mouth were, thank you. Thank you for being the one who always saw what no one else saw. If there was a tag that was bothering me or if I was in pain or if there was something that I needed and I couldn't say what I needed, you did. I'll tell you, when you think about... Rachel's story and you think about your story and you think about what Paul's telling us here in scripture. The reality is, yes, we're all weak, but in Christ nothing can stop us except the wall. Not a Cardi syndrome, not our past, not our petty differences. So the message the text is telling us is get us. Stay humble. Stay engaged. Stay focused. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, I want to read um, Psalm 40 to you. And while we were praying over Rachel, this was a verse that Joel had read. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord.